We're starting a new series today, a character study on Noah, on Noah. Amen. It's just going to be sort of a little mini series for a couple of weeks. And uh, we started this a couple of years ago. Uh, what, one of the things that I like to do during the year is to at least do one little series on a character, a character of the Bible, a character study. And um, very often when we do character studies, it's very helpful for our own walk uh, with God. Amen. And so I know many of you know about Noah. I know it's kind of a Sunday school thing, uh, which is why we kind of showed that video. And we know about Noah. We know about Noah's ark. Um, but Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, he said, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you already know them and are firmly established in them and in the truth that you now have. So I figure if Peter can remind you, then Pastor Mike can also remind you of some things. Amen. It's really the Holy Spirit, isn't it, who's reminding us, not me, uh, but God will always remind us. So even though you know Noah, uh, even if you're not in church, you've heard of Noah and Noah's Ark. Some people are confused. Was he the one that was in the fish or which guy was he? So we'll uh, we'll we'll talk about Noah and Noah was really a type of Christ. Amen. He was a type of Christ and uh, could be very helpful for us. And so when you do a character study uh, about characters in the Bible, many characters there are uh, there's a lot of information on, you know, obviously Jesus, um, who we should preach about more than anyone else. But Peter and Paul um we even know about Esther and Hannah. We know about Moses. Noah has about a chapter and a half, um, not even a chapter and a half. He has a couple of verses and then a, and then a couple, may, maybe a little more than a chapter and a half, actually, if you look at chapter seven, sort of after uh, the flood was all over. But um, just not a lot, 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 lot about Noah and his wife. And so, but Studying a biblical character, as I said, really uh, can help us in our own walk. Because one of the things that we find out when you really study biblical characters is that though we put them on a pedestal sometimes and we, we make them heroes, they're the heroes of faith and heroes of the Bible because they, you know, they, they, they split the Red Sea and they, they built an ark and they, uh, you know, they, they did so many different things. You find out that many characters in the Bible are no different than you and I. They're just people trying to live a good life. And the only difference is they were obedient to God. You know, they weren't especially talented more than, uh, you know, some of us were. Uh, we're, we were created the same. And so um, even though we put them with this hero status, it could be said that they really weren't being heroic at the time, rather just obedient. Amen. And so can you imagine, you think about this particular story, what went through the minds of Noah and his family? Because one of the things that we forget as we look back into the story, we know everything that happened. Okay, it's, it's, it's retro for us. All right. But one of the things that we forget is at the time, there were no boats. There were no big boats like that. Okay, there, there, you know, there, there wasn't, there was no precedence. There were no uh, big bodies of water that people had to cross to get to somewhere else. They didn't know about the rest of the world. And so when God told Noah to build this thing, it's like, what in the world are you talking about? See, Noah had no vision for the ark. 
And I know if you're like me, I like to have a vision of something before I start it. You know, we're going to, we're, we're, we're redoing and rebooting children's church here. And, uh, you know, we're rebranding it and doing all that. And I got to have a vision. I got to see where are we going with this thing? What are we going to do? How many rooms do we have? What, what about the curriculum? Uh, the curriculum is such that there's videos and praise and worship. And so that way I can tell the teachers that they don't have to come up with stuff. They just have to be there to facilitate. And uh, see, I'll put that plug in for teachers. And, um, you know, and so I, I need to have the vision. I need to know what the end game is before I jump into this thing. And so many of us live our lives like that. I need to know. I need to have a vision. But you have to understand, Noah didn't have a vision for the ark. He didn't know God had a vision, but Noah didn't. God just said, do this. And Noah was obedient. God doesn't give us com the completed picture all the time. Sometimes he does, but there are times when he does not give us the completed picture and he just says, trust me, trust me, you walk by faith and not by sight. So in this little mini series, we're going to look at the life of Noah and how he was a type of Christ. And uh, we all know that Noah, right, was most famous for what? What was he most famous for? The ark, right? Building the ark. And um, we're going to take a brief look at uh, the ark in just a moment. Uh, but let's look at a little bit of Noah's background and who he was. All right. Uh, Noah uh, was the ninth descendant from Adam in the line of Seth. All right. Um, and so he was he was number 10. You know, you go straight down. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared. Jared was in there. All right. <laughs> Enoch. Methuselah, who was the oldest living human being recorded at, what, 969 years old, Noah's grandfather, Lamech, which was his father, and then Noah, okay? So he was number 10, and uh, we know that he had three sons, and they were married, so he had three daughter-in-laws and his wife, and so there were eight of them, okay, eight of them. And like Adam, Noah became the father, really, of the human race all over again. I mean, Adam still was and Eve, the mother, but it's, we started all over, right? So Noah kind of became the father again of the human race. He lived 350 years after the flood and died at the ripe old age of 950, just 19 years younger than his grandfather had died when he uh, passed away, all right? And um, Noah was probably aware of the coming flood for about 120 years, okay? And so he knew that this flood was coming, but he didn't know what a flood was. <laughs> I know something's coming and you're calling it a flood, but I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen rain. Can you imagine that? I mean, this summer with what we're going through, I can't imagine never have seen rain. <laughs> it's been raining so much. We, he's never seen rain. Also, there are more references in the New Testament to Noah than in the Old Testament. Did you know that? People, you know, Noah was an important character. He was an important character. Uh, in, 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 the old, in the New Testament, um, he, Jesus compares the days of Noah to the coming of the Son of Man. And in the book of Hebrews, it identifies Noah as a man of faith. And then Peter, in, in his epistle, refers to the days of Noah and compares the salvation that Noah and his family received from the flood waters uh, of baptism 
to a symbol of salvation. All right, I think that that's uh, also very interesting. You see, actually, that's a little more interesting than I than I even got into. Um, if you think about think about this, I was thinking about this. This word ark. There's there's two words. There's two types of arks in the Old Testament. There's a word that translated ark that meant the ark of the covenant, right? You remember the ark of the covenant. And then there's a word there's a word taiva that translates to the ark, and it's only used. In, in reference to Noah's Ark and into the little basket that Moses was put in when he was sent down the river. And actually, interestingly, that word taiva really translates uh, in one translation to the word coffin, if you believe it or not. So now let's look at this. We were talking about this, I think, in Bible study. Um, you know, Jeannie brought up the fact that how God, uh, you know, there's, you, you think that, oh, this is a chance or this is a coincidence. But God had everything laid out for us already. Now think about this with the ark. So in modern times, we know that baptism is a part of the salvation process, water baptism. Water baptism doesn't save you, but it is a symbol, okay? It is a symbol. Go, and what it represents is going down uh, the death of Jesus, going into the water. That's thus immersion. Baptism means, baptismo means to be buried, by the way. So when you're buried in the water, and then uh, that represents the death, and burial, and then coming out of the water represents resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? Is it okay if we teach a little bit today? All right, and so that, that, that is, that's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this. In, in Noah's time, they got into this ark, which translates coffin, and water came, okay? And so they're inside this coffin, which really represented death. They're inside this coffin. Now, everything around them died. We know. Everything around them died. They were saved. But they were in this coffin. The water came, and the water came from above, and the water came from below. So they're surrounded by water. And then all of a sudden, when the water receded, they, were, uh, they, they came forth, uh, resurrected when the door opened, okay, back to life, representing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Peter refers to uh, Noah's Ark and talks about the salvation by water, and he compares that to the to baptism, all right, of the New Testament. So God had all that laid out. It's a type and a shadow, okay, of what was to come. If you have your Bible, turn over to Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to read, we're going to start at verse 29 of chapter 5, and then we're going to read about halfway through chapter 6, okay, in just a moment, all right? We're going to read from verse 29 of chapter 5 up to about verse 12 of chapter 6, all right? So, verse 28 says, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. Verse 29, where you are, he named him Noah and said, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands, caused by the ground, the ground the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years, had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived a total of 777 years, and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All right? Now we'll skip over to chapter 6. 
Verse 1 says, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, and all whom they chose. Verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. For he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Verse 5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. In the King James, it says he repented that he made man. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. On the earth. So Noah lived a total of 600 years before the flood happened. And 120 of those years would have probably been building the ark, this thing that he didn't understand what it was all about, okay? And uh, it probably took that long because he didn't have power tools, right? He didn't have uh, some of the things that we have today, some modern cranes and construction equipment. And think about that. I want you to think about that because, as I said, it's retro for us. And we're, you know, we, we think back. And I know, Eldon, and you guys know who, who are able to work with your hands. Can you imagine back then? Maybe the tools that they had, a stone for a hammer or what. They, maybe they made a hammer out of, I don't know. But it was, uh, you know, it was archaic to us, okay? And um, he had to cut large quantities of wood. The fact that they, he probably didn't have any help outside of his family, okay? Just him and his family, his boys maybe, helping him, all right? And the fact that they were able to finish this immense project with likely very little help outside of his family is a testament to the abilities that God gave not only to Noah but that he gives to us as humans. Remember Noah's not much different than you. You probably don't even know all of the things that God has put in you, all the things that you can do. And it takes faith. We doubt so much. We doubt. Doubt is a thief of the blessings of God. But it's amazing. It is amazing. We don't know Noah's occupation, uh, you know, how he provided for his family. Was he a hunter? We don't know. Um, but either he built the ark part-time or God supernaturally provided food for his family during this time. Okay? Now, the ark. Talk a little bit about the ark. This is interesting to me because three verses in Genesis chapter 6 really describe the ark and it uses this uh, frame of reference cubit 
And so a cubit was about 18 inches or so. And um, an Egyptian cubit was 20 inches. So we don't know which one they used. Uh, uh, we assume the Jewish cubit, which was about 18 inches. Uh, but if it was a if it was a, an Egyptian cubit, then the ark would have been a little bit bigger than this. But the ark um, looked, you know, some people have done drawings of the ark, but the ark was about uh, 450 feet long in length. Okay, it was about 75 feet wide, the width of the ark, 75 feet, and it was about 45 feet high, and it had three decks. So three decks of what, 15 feet each? So think about today, the tallest animal on the earth is a giraffe. Now, I know one of the kids said that they thought Noah brought dinosaurs. I don't know. He might have. I don't know. Uh, but if I think about what my frame of reference is, a giraffe is anywhere between 13 to 15 feet. So it was just big enough to get a giraffe in there on one of those decks. I assume the bottom deck, you know. And so it was about 45 feet high. All right. And uh, it, it really it had compartments and decks and it was made of wood. It was sealed with pitch, which is tar, comparable to tar, both inside and out to be waterproofed. OK, God thought this thing through. Don't think God just threw anything at Noah. OK, so it was sealed inside and out with pitch. All right. Uh, you know, and it was made up of gopher wood. And I know many of you have maybe done some research on that. I'm not really sure what kind of gopher wood that is. I mean, what kind of wood gopher wood is. Um, some translations say cy uh, cypress wood or some other wood. I don't know. You carpenters may know what that translates to today. But he told him gopher wood must have been some good wood. All right. Because it worked. <laughs> And it included a side door, right? As I said, three decks, upper, middle, and lower. God commanded uh, Noah to also build a window in the ark. You guys know all of this stuff, but remember 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. I'm reminding you, all right? Reminding you. And part of that is because think about the, the, how immense this project was. That's why I'm reminding you of this. Because there are some of us who are facing situations that seem insurmountable. We have an insurmountable mountain of debt, a relationship that we have with our family or with our spouse or with someone. It seems like it cannot be repaired because it's impossible. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And I want to tell you that with God, nothing is impossible. There is nothing that is insurmountable with God. That's why we're going through this Sunday school lesson about the ark. OK, think about this. How Noah and his family how they had to build this thing, not even knowing what rain, I don't even know what it's for. And I'm building this crazy thing. <laughs> it was a testament of Noah's faith, uh, right? Uh, because, again, he had no real large body of water that he had to cross. He didn't know what was on the other side of the ocean. Okay, he wasn't, he certainly wasn't thinking about going out there. Okay, and so, so this is a testament, this is a testament to his faith and his family's faith. Now, Peter said that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So during those 120 years, obviously Noah preached to the people. He gave them an opportunity, gave them an opportunity to be saved, but they chose not to. Probably in large part because they never heard of rain either. I don't know what this crazy man and his family are doing, and I don't know what he's talking about, but there's no such thing as rain, and there's no such word as flood. That's you making up words now. You're just making up words, okay? And so they didn't know. And so they just, uh, you know, they didn't believe him, all right? 
part of God's plan. So, uh, but they could have uh, certainly, uh, you know, I'm sure God would have made space if somebody would have repented. Okay. So Noah, Noah was a type of Christ. How does all of this help us? Because Noah was a type of Christ and God is telling us that Jesus uh, was an example for us. Peter told us that in Second Peter, that Jesus was a, an example when he walked the earth. Not the, not the risen Jesus that's seated at the right hand of the Father. See, we know him no longer after the flesh, but when he walked the earth, he was an example for us of how we're supposed to walk. So that takes away our excuse with saying that, well, Jesus did those things. I mean, he, he was able to heal people and he was able to forgive, you know, and he was able to do all those things. But that was Jesus. That's not me. Well, guess what? He was an example for you. He, he was just like you when he walked the earth. He walked the earth as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, not as God in heaven. OK, that, and he walked. He does, he's no longer like that. We don't know him any longer after the flesh. OK, but when he did walk the earth, he was an example for us. And Noah in the Old Testament was a type of Christ. So let's just look at some ways that he was a type of Christ. We'll look at five ways today real quick and then uh, five ways next week in Noah. OK. So first of all, Noah's name means comforter, or it literally translates to rest. He came as a blesser. He came as a blesser. Now, I know for some of us, it's, it's like, well, what do you mean Noah came as a blesser? Because, well, I remember he built an ark and everybody died. So I'm not really sure how that was a blessing. But Japheth, his father, remember when we first started reading in verse 29, he said he named him Noah, right? And, and it meant comforter. He, he said, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground that the Lord has cursed. So they lived for nine generations with cursed earth, scorched earth, cursed earth, right? By toil, okay? We were meant to, to, to plant, to, to, to sow, and to reap. We were always, it, we were just never were meant to, we were never meant to toil, See, there's a difference in work and toil by the sweat of your brow, all right? God, God always meant for us to work. In fact, the first thing God did was give Adam a job. He created Adam, breathed the breath of life in him, and put him in the garden and said, now tend the garden. The very first thing he did was give him a job. So we're meant to work, but, we're, but, but God never said toil, Toil, where it's a struggle. And so that's why Japheth said, I'm naming you Noah. And that way, you know, you, you, will, you will help us. You will comfort us concerning uh, th this toil of our hands. We don't know any special events around Noah's birth. Uh, that would cause Japheth to name him that, but that's what he named him. He just, maybe he named him in faith. Uh, maybe he was just uh, mistaken when he named him. But uh, I don't think things turned out the way Japheth wanted them to or the way he thought they would, as they often don't when we follow God, because Noah came as a blesser. He did bless. He, it's just that he blessed all the future generations from the wickedness of what was going on. <laughs> He got rid of all the wickedness or he built the ark and he, he restarted humanity, right? So we could be away from God said that this that there's wicked continually in the heart of mankind, of humans, of humans. And, and by the way, when it says man, that that word that translates to man doesn't just mean male. It means human humans. OK, all everybody was wicked. 
Everybody was wicked. And so he blessed. He just blessed us. He blessed the future generations. Okay. And so it, wasn't, it didn't turn out the way that, that Lamech thought. God sent Christ to, to you and me to bless you and I. Acts 3.26, the Bible says to you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So Noah came as a blesser. Jesus came as a blesser. Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom of God, saying that God would establish his kingdom here on earth. And he urged people to repent and to be baptized. The Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness and he urged people to repent and to come into this ark and be baptized because a flood is coming. A flood is coming. He was a type of Christ. In Mark 1.15, Jesus said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then we know in, in Matthew 28.19, he said, go into the ends of the earth making disciples baptizing them. So Jesus preached, repent and be baptized. Noah preached, repent and be baptized. And God used, as I mentioned, God used this water as a symbol of salvation. He used it in Noah's time and he uses it today when we go into the the tank to be baptized. It's why we're baptized. It's part of the salvation process. Okay. Baptism doesn't save you. It's a symbol. It's a symbol. God uses it as a symbol. Right. Peter, first Peter three, verse 20, Peter saying that uh, when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight. So we know a Bible few is eight. All right. If you want to know what a few is, some people think a few is three, but a Bible few is eight says it in the Bible, uh, were saved through water. He said they were saved through water. So New Testament water baptism uh, is a conventional symbol and is part of the salvation process, okay? Second thing is he found grace in the eyes of God. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. So I want to talk about this uh, just for a moment. Verse 8 in chapter 6 says, but Noah found grace in, in the eyes of the Lord. How did Noah find grace and what does it mean to find grace, okay? Well, if you go on down to verse 9, it says that Noah was a just man, perfect, meaning blameless or having integrity in his generations. Noah walked with his God, with God. Noah and his family, okay, now just follow me, just follow me here. Noah and his family were saved by the righteousness that they had. The rest of the world perished for lack of righteousness. Had they followed the path of Noah and walked with God, they too could have been saved by grace like Noah and the seven others with him in the ark. Now, when I say that, understand this. Noah sinned. I, and some, some might say, well, we don't know. I mean, Noah probably sinned. No, Noah did sin. I can tell you for a fact that Noah sinned. You want to know why? Because Paul said in Romans that, all have sinned, and I don't know about you, but Noah, it doesn't say all except Noah. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I, so you might say, well, I'm just not worthy. I, Noah had a lot of faith, and I just can't do that. Guess what? You're just like Noah. He sinned just like you sinned, okay? Everyone did except Jesus. <laughs> Everyone, all right? You're no different. So, so, Noah, so Noah sinned, 
All right, all have sinned and come short of God's glory. See, the difference is when we talk about Noah was righteous and we talk about he was perfect, that word perfect means complete or that word perfect means mature. Here's the difference. The difference isn't that Noah did everything right and never sinned. That's not what I'm talking about. But every time he fell short, he went to God. He offered the, 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 the sacrifice that he needed to offer. Now today, that sacrifice has already been offered for us. God wants our heart. If God has our heart, he has everything else. And so it's not a matter of doing everything right, but it's a matter of going to God every time and believing his word every time and speaking his word in your life every time. That's what it's about. That's the difference. See, when we think of Noah was righteous before God. How did he find grace? He found grace because he was righteous, but he was righteous because he went to God if he ever fell. God is just saying, come to me. Come to me. I have righteousness. I have blessings. I only impute righteousness. God, you'll never come to God and he'll impute sin. You come to God and he'll impute uh, condemnation. God only convicts you to get to him. He convicts you so that godly sorrow brings repentance so that now you could walk in the blessing. We can't walk in the blessing if we're walking in sin. Two different things. You can't do that. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about he, he found grace. How did he find that grace? Well, it leads to point number three. He was just and perfect. All right. He was a just man. It's just expounding on the previous point. Noah is, is referred to as perfect because of his obedience, because of his obedience. That's why he's referred to as perfect. Remember, Abraham, it was counted unto him as righteousness. What was what? faith? The fact that he believed that's what not the things he did. I do so many things righteous. I helped, you know, three people today and I gave some money and, you know, I made a right judgment call and I was so wise here. And, you know, it's not about all the things that you do. Do good things. I'm not saying that, but it's not about that. It's about your heart and your faith. That's what it boils down to. We walk by faith and not by sight. We can't please God without faith. So the question is, what do we need to do to be in right standing with God? Listen to this from the Amplified Version. It, Romans 3, 20 and 23 says, For no person will be justified, that means freed of guilt, declared righteous in his sight, by trying to do the works of the law. For through the law we become conscious of sin, and recognition of sin directs us toward repentance, but there's no remedy of sin in the law. But now the righteousness of God has been clearly revealed independently and, and completely apart from the law. Though it is actually confirmed by the law and the words and the writings of the prophets, the righteousness of God comes through faith. This is Bible, folks. The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all those, Jew and Gentile, who believe and trust in him and acknowledge him as God's son, there is no distinction since we all have sinned and come short of God's glory. It's for all of us. It doesn't matter who you are. If you can believe, you can be saved and you can walk in the abundant life that God has called you to, that Jesus said, I have come for. Okay? Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. That's just and perfect. Repentance and faith. One more time, to be just and perfect, it's not about what you wear to church. I know I grew up in church and it was all about, you know, how, you know that's how you were holy. Because your hairdo and, you know, what you had on and, you know, how you talked. If you said certain, uh, you know, a vernacular, we had a certain vernacular in church. You know, if you talked the right way, then you were a holy person. You know, uh, you, know you, you say, uh, hello, Joan. No, you mean Sister Joan. I mean, that's Sister Joan to you, right? 
we at church, you know. No, it's not about that. <laughs> Repentance and faith. And then he walked with God. What does it mean to walk with God? Well, do we take time to listen to God? Do we share our lives with him? Do we tell him our dreams, our fears, our needs? Do we go to him uh, when we're up? And do we go to him when we're down? So often when we need something, oh, Lord, we go and we speak in all kind of tongues and we cry and we do all kind of things. But guess what? When, when you're blessed, God says, come to me then too. Come to me and thank me and, and let's, let's talk about it because I got more blessings for you. So he walked, he walked with God. Ultimately, walking with God means to walk by faith. That's what it means to walk with God. You can't walk with God without walking by faith. Who are you walking with if you don't know who you believe in, right? Noah walked with God. Jesus walked with the Father. Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, this is important now, and I know we're just about done. Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. That's what we want to get to. Don't you want to get to that point? I mean, I'm not there yet, but that's where I want to get to, to where, where I, I can say, I do nothing of myself, but only what I see the father do. He says, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. And then over in John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, okay? And I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life and they never will perish. They will never perish. Neither shall, shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Then he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. I and my father are one. Jesus said this while he walked the earth. Jesus was an example for us. You can speak for God just like a preacher can speak for God, just like Noah spoke for God, just like Jesus spoke for God. You can speak things into existence if you're speaking the word of God. If you, if you, and, your, and, if you and the Father are one and he's speaking through you, you can speak things into existence. You can move mountains. Now we understand what Jesus was saying when he said, listen, if you just have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea and it will be done for you. You can speak that. Yes, you can. You can do it. You can do it. You get to this place where you're just, you believe God in your heart. And there's no doubt in your heart. Lastly, he was a voice on earth for God in heaven. Second Peter 2, 4, and 5 says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to a hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, this is Second Peter 2, 4, and 5, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly. Okay, and then the, 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 the living Bible says, when it says preacher of righteousness, the living Bible says uh, he spoke for God, it says spoke for God, Noah, who spoke for God. You know, pre when we when we testify, when we witness to people, when we preach up here, we should only, only, only preach what God says. I mean, I'm so sensitive to me. Probably shouldn't even go into this. This is me and my wife should just talk about this. But I'm so sensitive to me about the pulpit and what what we use it for, what we use our witness for. Okay, it should be and whatever it could be. Any it doesn't matter. I mean, we could talk about all kind of things. We could talk about politics and economics. I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about those things. All I'm saying is it's got to come from God. It's got to, so much that's being said doesn't come from God. That's why you have to be like a Berean. You have to be a discerner. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't just believe what somebody with a mic is saying, right? 
You read the Bible for yourself. Read it for yourself. You can understand it. This is not the old Roman Catholic church. I know that might offend somebody. But you, you can understand. They told people that you can't understand the Bible. We have priests for that. No, they don't understand it, but you understand it more than they do because you have the Holy Spirit. Be a preacher of righteousness like Noah. And then Jesus was that same word. The, the, the Greek word for preacher is herald. Herald, all right? And it refers to an official entrusted with making public proclamations. You should be able to trust someone who preaches the word of God. You shouldn't have to doubt what they say. But you should trust and verify. And Jesus, I'm finishing up. Jesus, Luke 9, 35, a voice came out of the cloud, out of heaven, saying, This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. The, the King James says it. Hear him. Listen to him. That means he's speaking for me. When you hear him talk, you ever heard that? When you hear him talk, just it's me talking. Okay? We should be that same way. When we talk, it's God talking. And now, finally... We, the church, are God's voice on earth. What does all this have to do? Why are you talking about Noah? He was a voice on earth for God in heaven. We as the church, not just a preacher, we as the church are God's voice on earth. All right. Last scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 says, now then we are ambassadors. We don't need to go into that, right? You know what an ambassador is. An ambassador is someone who's in a foreign land, but represents the land that he is from. And wherever that ambassador is, when he steps into that embassy, come on, that's, that's, that's sovereign land. This is kingdom ground right here. I know it's Indiana. I know we're on Prowl Road, but this is kingdom ground. We are ambassadors, okay? This is, this is holy ground right here. We are ambassadors uh, for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Paul said, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might become the righteousness of God, that we, we might become the righteousness of God. And so we see that Noah was a type of Christ. Jesus was an example for us. Now it's time for us to stop looking at them as the heroes and start being the heroes in our own story. Because that's who God is calling us to be. Not of our own volition, not of our, our, our own way, our own thoughts, but because that's who God is calling us to be. Heroes and conquerors and more than conquerors and overcomers and testifiers. Come on. And those who heal and those who save, those who speak God's word and things change and the atmosphere changes all around us. Right. That's who we should be. Preachers of righteousness as the church. Amen.